So even though I was competing at a high level and running these fast times, I wasn't able to go for some type of reason, whether it was a life reason or an injury. So it was just a lot of ups and downs and just mental battles. Excellence is about standing, and excellence is a requirement for your dream to come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. Today, I have an amazing discussion with Akim Haynes. If you look up Akim online, Most of what you will read is about his track and field career and his bronze medal at the 2016 Olympics in the 4x100 meters. This is about 10% of the episode. What you will really hear is Akim's inspiring life story, which includes a period of homelessness with his mom in the cold Canadian winter when he was only 13. This episode is like no other. It is grit, perseverance and hope. With this life story, it is easy to understand how good Akim's first memory on the track feels. And that was the first time that, you know, I ever saw like, you know, all of the provinces together. So you had Alberta, Quebec, obviously, uh, Ontario, but there was a lot of trash talking going on on the Ontario mm-hmm. side, right? So, you know, nobody really thinks about us out West over in Alberta, right? So when I was able to hear some of the trash talk that was happening. And then I beat all of the guys who were trash talking. And then all of the guys, you know, who were hyping it up. Um, that was a good moment, man, because it made them quiet pretty good. But how loud it was <laughs> in the stands, how they were saying, man, Ontario, this, Ontario, that. And then how quiet that it got after. That was a, that was a good memory. Awesome. And is that a is that a common thing that people from Ontario are being loud and, and trash talking or was it just in that occasion? I'm not from Ontario, so you know, say yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, man, for the most part, you know, they're the, they're, uh, they're the biggest province in the country, right? So they got the most. Um, their tracks are really good over there. They got the better weather and the summertime comes, you know, they're, they're most talked about the most. Everybody knows Toronto from a global scale. Not too many people know where Calgary is, right? <laughs> so it comes with a lot about being out east and we're always competitive. I know I always was. And so, you know, when we have the opportunity to go up there, man, and 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 slap up some of those people, man, it's always good in fair competition. Nice. So that's a success memory. It's pretty cool. Uh, so tracking back, uh, you were born, if I'm not mistaken, in Jamaica. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Right. So um, you were born there. Did you start um, uh, running and, and racing uh, as you were there or did it come a bit later? Uh, well, from my understanding, man, you know, you know, in Jamaica, when you're like in, I guess, elementary school, you would have like track and field day or sports day and you would play a whole bunch of different sports. But, you know, in Jamaica, you know, the main sports is track, cricket or soccer. You kind of gravitate towards those. But mm-hmm. I never really started running track until I got to Canada. And didn't really start taking it seriously until high school. So in my earliest days in Jamaica, man, I ran track and field, but I didn't take it seriously or said that I wanted to do it. It's just kind of something that you do. You're kind of immersed in the culture of it. Okay. So what? Uh, how old were you when you uh, you moved to Canada? Uh, I was eight years old. Okay, eight. So more on the personal side, I've read a few things that you had a quite rocky childhood uh, with your mom. Uh, is there... You know, thing that you can mention and and how it, it, it made you stronger for the, the rest of your life? Yeah, man, I grew up, I grew up tough, man. You know, my story is a little different than, than some people, man. You know, uh, it, it wasn't a, uh, easy path at the beginning. You know, I seen, I always say like at an early age, you know, I've seen probably more things than someone who may be in their fifties and sixties years old before I was even 10 years old. Right. So I saw a lot of things and you don't really know when you're going through certain things, if you are going to pull something from it, if you're going to get strength from it, because a lot of people get trauma from stress. A lot of people get Mm -hmm. trauma from violence and all of those things. Right. So for me, I didn't know what I was going to get from it. I was just trying to survive, honestly. Um, But at the same time, man, you know, my mom had me young as well. And one of the things that, you know, was good when you have kids young, well, good and kind of challenging is you get to grow up with your parents. Yeah. You know, mom had me when I was 18, when she was 18 years old. 
And even moving to Canada, it wasn't really my choice, right? You're, my mom and dad made a decision and they said, Akeem can be a million and one things in a different country, but if he stays here, like he may be a little limited in this path, maybe a little bit more difficult. So that's kind of how I got to Canada, man. But hardships and setbacks and delays um, and redirection has been a common theme in my life, but I'm understanding and, and under and learning and growing as I got older that, you know, you have to feel everything in life, man. You don't just get to feel the good yeah. and think it's everything is going to be straight. You have to feel it all. So for me, and I think all of us, the challenge in life is how do we find the good in every situation that we're going through? And how do we not let what we're going through discourage us and make us think that we can't get through it, man? So uh, tough challenges at the beginning, uh, tough challenges throughout, but at the same time, your path is your path, so you might as well own it. Yeah, and, and at the same time, when you're eight or, or 10, it's not easy when, I don't know, if you don't have food on the table or if you, you know, are involved in violence, it's not easy to see that there's any, anything good in it, especially if it becomes your you know your day-to-day. -day. Uh, so were you surrounded by people who helped you, your family and all that, or did you only realize that much later on that all of that made you stronger? But on the, on, on the, no, on the very moment, you just were, like you said, surviving and, and trying to, to make it to the next day. Yeah, man. I mean, for a great portion of my life, man, like, you know, it's just been me and my mom, you know what I'm saying? Like at the early stages, when we first got to Canada, you know, my uncle was in the army up there and that was our way into Canada. So I actually yeah. went to Yellowknife for all of our Canadian listeners first, which is, you know, far North, man, you go from beautiful skies in Jamaica and the sun to like the Arctic cold, you know what I'm saying? So that was a massive culture shock. But my uncle was up there and I had some cousins up there for the first two years, right? Mm -hmm. But then we moved to Calgary and it was literally just me and my mom. So I didn't always have a lot of family support. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, man, you know, you, you kind of lean on the people that you meet along the way and you kind of lean on your mom um, and my dad as well, too, uh, even though he didn't come with us to, to Canada, but he was still always vocal, always there in support. So I come from a small family, man, but we're strong in spirit, we're strong in heart, and we're strong in support. Mm -hmm. And is there a reason why your, your dad uh, didn't follow you? Because at the beginning, you mentioned mom and dad, then only your mom, and you said your, your dad stayed in, in Jamaica. Was there a reason for that? Did he have like you know, stuff that he, he needed to take care of? Yeah, man. You know, you know, he, he, he worked a whole lot for the first trip, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm kind of put himself back in some areas and he wasn't able to come up there with us. Right. But he always sent what he could every single month. Right. And so he needed to work and he knew that was one of the sacrifices that he had to make. Obviously it would have been great if he was able to come, but he also had some other obligations, but he still made me and my mom a priority. And I always respect and appreciated that because, you know, I couldn't imagine what that could be like, you know, to, to, to say, you know what, you guys can be a minute one things in other places and yeah. knowing that I have to stay because I got to take care of these things and I have a good working position here. I can support you from afar and be there from afar, even though I can't give you that support in person. That's a tough decision to make, man. And so uh, I always yeah. respect him for that because I'm sure there's part of him that has said, you know what? I don't know when the next time I'm going to see my son, you know, mm -hmm. that, that is probably a little heartbreaking as yeah. well. And have you had the opportunity to, to see him again since that time? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I've seen him a couple of times. Uh, when I went back, I went, when I left Jamaica at eight, I went back when I was 11 and, uh, my dad lives in Alabama now, right? He's in and out between Jamaica. So I, I got to see him, uh, throughout my time. Sweet. So you were in Yellowknife. You said the reason you went there was because you had Uh, uncle, uh, uncle, and and cousins. Uh, why moving to to Calgary? Um, if if no one was here to kind of support you in the first place, got to get out of there, man. I mean, just because it was the, the the bottom of the world. Yellowknife oh, is a small place, man. Like, there's not much there, right? Yeah. There's like eighteen, eighteen, eighteen thousand people, nineteen thousand people, maybe twenty two now, right? And so there were some things that kind of led us to that path. But when it's time to go, you know. When it's time for change, you know. And so my mom felt like it was time for a change and it was time to go somewhere else. And so that's when we migrated to Cal or to Calgary. But, you know, Yellowknife was never, it was a start. It was never the end goal. It was just the landing points before exactly. doing some 
Okay. Um, and also read that uh, at 13 or something like that, you ended up uh, homeless in a sense for uh, for some time. So yeah, how did you uh, how did you get there? And most importantly, how did you get out of there? Yeah, man. So um, at 13, um, my mom and I ended up homeless, staying at a staying at a bus stop. You know, um, the situation kind of happened where the person that we came to Yellowknife with, you know, him and my mom had a fallout. And the next thing you know, like they kicked us out of where we were. So we didn't have a place to go. We didn't really know too, too many people. Um, we're still learning the city. We weren't really there particularly long. So uh, my mom and I, you know, uh, regular day, I'm coming home. Regular day, I'm coming from home. I left the morning, same thing, same routine, got up same time, ate the same thing, went to school, all my classes, coming back home. Um, and it was cold outside. I mean, wintertime in, in Western Canada is pretty cold, man. Yeah, I know that now. And so I'm coming back and um, I open the door and I see three garbage bags there, right? And I'm looking at it like, man, where'd all these garbage bags come from? Because we didn't eat this much throughout the, throughout a day. And so I'm looking and I see like, like my hat and my shoes and I see like my clothes. And I'm thinking to myself, man, what's going on here? And then I see my mom coming down the steps and I ask her, she's just looked at me. She said, go up, Keem, just go upstairs and get the rest of your stuff. Like we got to go. And I'm like, what, what do you mean we got to go, ma? Like it's, it's minus 23, 24 outside. We ain't got no place to go. What are you talking about? Go outside. Get like, I don't understand. And so she said, uh, I don't have time to argue. Just go upstairs. Like we got to go. So that's what I did. You know, I went upstairs, got the rest of my stuff. And at 13, man, you know, I had one garbage bag in one hand, one garbage bag in the other, and we were just walking. I wasn't sure where we were walking to. We were just walking. And I tell the story, you know, whenever I go and speak, man, and, and it's, it's the story lives. It's vivid, right? Like I can feel the chills. I can feel the aches. I can feel the temperature drop. I can feel all of these things when I tell the story. So we just kept walking and we came across this bus stop. And the bus stop, it was glass, but it had four walls. And that's where we were for a little bit. Like, we went in there, man. And that, in those dark moments, man, I learned two things. Um, one, gratitude, uh, because I was grateful that I had my mom with me. I don't know if I would have been able to handle that by myself. As a young kid like that, I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not sure I was that strong back then. The other thing that it taught me, man, was, you know, if anything is going to happen in your life, like you're going to have to be the one to start it. Because mm -hmm. in that moment, I was like, yo, people are just coming, just walking by. And like, nobody's saying anything. Nobody's trying to help us. Nobody even asked anything. Right. And then I was like, okay, so this is kind of how it is in real life. I remember, yo, man, when I first came to Canada, man, um, there was, I was big on superhero movies. Right. It was the first time that I actually kind of seen like like Batman and Robin and Green Lantern and the Wolverine and all of these different characters that were on TV. And I remember seeing this like Superman movie, right? Like one of the old school Superman movies. Right. You know, those movies, like the old school Superman where like, you know, like I don't know how they don't know it's Clark Kent just because he puts on the glasses doesn't mean like you mm -hmm. should know it's the same person. And. Lois was like on top of a, of a, of a skyscraper building and she got pushed off. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yo, it's a rap for her. No way she's going to survive that fall. But right in the nick of time, like Superman came and saved her. And so as a young kid coming to Canada, I'm thinking to myself, man, you know, at some point Superman is going to save us, but everybody just kept walking by. Everybody just kept going about their business. And then the sky started to fall and it started to get real dark out until I realized, man, we're sleeping at this bus stop tonight. And so how I got out of it, um, it was really a leap of faith, man. And just, and just a call of hope. Like literally I was at school and there was a guy in my class and we didn't really know him too well. Like I didn't know him too well, but you know, we, 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 cross paths often we're in the same classes and you know my mom and his mom met briefly a couple weeks back and so my mom got her number and just said hey this is our situation is there a possibility that we can stay with you for a little bit and she was gracious gracious enough to allow us to stay with her in her basement until my mom was able to get back on her feet 
And so, man, I, I really appreciated that. I'm indebted to her and her family for life. So that's how we got out of that uh, homelessness season. Interesting. So how long did, did that last, the, the homelessness sorry, uh, part? Um, so we were able to like get back on our feet. Like homelessness was about a week. Okay. Um, we were able to get back on our feet, man, like probably get our own spot, my mom's own spot, probably in about three or four months from that time. Okay. And, and from that week, you probably remember every, uh, every single second quite vividly the same way you, you, know, you said you can remember the, the, the cold, you can remember the wind, you can remember, I, I would assume every single details of that week, which probably made uh, a big part of the person you're now. Yeah, man, you know, you know, it, it, sorry, it wasn't three months. It was about a year and a half, actually. Um, and yeah, I remember every single thing, man. Like I remember my mom came home a couple of times and she would be like in tears, right? She, she would be in tears and I would be on the mattress on the floor, kind of like turned over and I would hear, man, some, some nights she would cry so hard that the bed would vibrate and shake, right? And she probably thought that I was sleeping, but no, I remember everything down to a T. I remember every single time. And I said to myself, and I was praying one night, I said, God, man, I pray one day you put me in a position where these tears can be laughter, where these tears can be joy, where these tears can be a smile. And I said to myself, every single time that I leave this house, man, I'm going to work hard and whatever I do. And I'm going to make sure that I don't come back the same person. I want mm -hmm. it to be better. So it was the pain that helped me find positivity and help find motivation and help me to push past certain things throughout my whole life and track and field career and still to this day mm -hmm. and so at this point it's pretty tough when you don't you know have a, a place you can call home so were you, you know, were you a, where you were going to school you mentioned but were you able to focus on studies did you see that as your potential you know way out or or way to get you know a job and, and help your, your you and your mom get get out of this uh, this situation? You know, man, when you're that age, you really just, you really just do what you got to do. So like going to school was, I, I just did it. You know what I'm saying? Like I just went to school. I was never a person to really make excuse to, still to this day. Like I hardly, and I mean hardly ever complain, not because it's this admirable thing to do, but because I don't, I've, I haven't met someone who's complained and it makes them feel better. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't make me feel better. So I'd rather just not even complain about it. But during that time, man, you know, I, I was playing football as well, too, and volleyball and all these different things. And that's when I started to realize, I'm like, you know what, man, maybe sports is a way how I can better myself and my family. I didn't know what it looked like, but I was always a naturally athletic person. So I said, you know what, man, maybe there's an avenue here And maybe I can take one of these avenues and see how far that we can go. But yeah, I, I just, I went to school how I normally would. Nobody knew what was going on. And there was some dark times, dark thoughts. But, you know, I just, I just went through it because, I mean, at the end of the day, man, you got to keep pushing and keep going with mm -hmm. it. And was there any, any activity? You mentioned uh, volleyball, uh, football and, and track. Um, was there any place where you, you know, it was your, your safe heaven and you didn't think about all the stuff happening at home and uh, yeah was that uh, activity sport and track um i compartmentalize really well man and so i'm able to go do something and then just shut off one part of it and then come back and then i got to think about it again so i wouldn't even say it was more of a safe haven or any of that but it was just something that was kind of distracted me a little bit you know but i didn't really think too much into it I didn't want to think sometimes, you know, I just wanted to be in the motion, in the act of doing. So I, I, but when that was finished, I'm like, okay, crap. Like I gotta, this is real life over here, you know? So, uh, sports, sports, I wouldn't say was a safe haven to me, but I would say it was a, it was a distraction from what was going on, but a good distraction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, at, at what point did, did sport uh, take a bigger um, you know, place in your day-to-day -day life? As it must have been at some, at some time, uh, you know, your full-time occupations. How, how did you evolve from, you know, um, playing any sports for distraction to playing sport and running for, uh, to make it um, you know, your job and, and turning pro? 
Yeah, well, man, I had no aspirations to 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 run track and field, like to run to be a professional. I had no mm-hmm. aspirations to be an Olympian, none of that. All I want to do is get my school paid for. Everything else has been a bonus. But mm-hmm. I started taking track seriously in the 11th grade when I was getting offers from different schools, right? And I didn't know too much about scholarships, but I was understanding that like, man, I could get my school paid for here. I could get a full athletic scholarship and I wouldn't have to pay for school. I'm like, man, you know, mm-hmm. this is cool. Like I, I, I need to do this because I don't know how else I'm going to pay for it. Yeah. Right. And I get to compete against some of the best athletes that there is. I said, man, maybe I got to start taking this a lot more serious, but not a lot more serious on the track in the sport, but away from it, like schoolwork. I had to double down on certain classes and made sure that I had that part settled out because sports, I was always focused, always dedicated, always disciplined. I wasn't one of those kids who played with played with it. It wasn't a game to me. You know what I'm saying? So I never took any day off. I never took it for granted. I was never one of those people who went out and partied and all these different things. My path was different, right? So for me, in the sport wasn't the hard part, but it was the schooling part and the grades that I had to make sure that I doubled down to get that right. And was your mom pushing you more towards the the sport direction or the school direction? She was kind of letting you free as long as you uh, you you had the, the minimum grades? My mom was working three jobs, man. So I never really saw her. Okay. Right. So she taught me a lot of invaluable lessons without actually teaching me. So I learned the value of hard work by seeing her, by seeing that she would be tired some nights and some mornings, but she would be going to work anyway. Right. My mom is one of those people who's going to support me in whatever I did. She may, she may, Um, not be there physically because of her obligation that she has to do and her sacrifices. But she never once told me that, I, oh, you know, maybe you should do this, maybe you should do that. She always kind of let me figure it out. But half of it too was just because she was never really there. She was mm-hmm. working. So I had to figure out a lot of things on my own. And how, how important in that case was it for you to build, um, you know, a, a close circle of, I don't know, friends, advisors. So, because you don't, you have family except your mom when you're there and you said she's always working so yeah who was who were your advisors friends uh, people you were looking up to uh, in order to make to make you progress yeah man so i had a gym teacher by the name of ken rose uh he looked out for me way more than he ever needed to um so he's been a a big big impact in my life still one of my good friends today i had a couple of football coaches that really really stuck by me and helped me out as well And, you know, I have my close, small group of friends, man, but they didn't always know what was going on. You know, they wouldn't always know that sometimes I'd come to school and I hadn't even had a meal, right? Some people wouldn't even know that, you know, I went to pra- I went to school, went to practice and went home and was probably just getting one meal a day, right? So they didn't know all that stuff, but they all, man, played a big part um, in my life because I was a very serious cat. Like I was very, very serious. I didn't really laugh too much. I didn't really think too many things was funny. I was always just about the mission. Right. But whenever I'd get around my close group of people, man, you know, they always made me laugh. They always made me smile. And that is what you need, right? They knew that I was extremely focused and they made sure that they didn't do anything to distract that because they were focused as well too. So I owe it to my village, man. Um, Maya Angelou has a quote that says, I come as one, but I stand with 10,000. And so for me, every single person that has poured into Akeem in some capacity, whether big or small, whether they said hello, whether they sent an encouraged message, like I don't take that for granted. And I appreciated that. So a lot of people played um, a factor in my life, but It wasn't always like that because I didn't always in, let people in, you know. So that took a that took a little bit of time to be able to share certain things with people and actually let them help. Mm-hmm. So um, everything you you've said so far is really about the, the grind, uh, you know, trying to fight every single day uh, in order to get out of the situation you were in. Is there a moment you can pinpoint where it shifted? So today, you know, you're not in that situation anymore. Uh, 15-ish you were, uh, what would be, what do you, th- do you say would be the moment when things started to shift and you, know, you were becoming more comfortable, you had maybe a, a bit of money coming in, you were safe on the you know, housing uh, part, your mom was settled and all that. So yeah, is there, is there a moment or is it just a, a long, long journey? Um, 
Man, I would say it, it was probably a couple years after that, man. Like probably when, probably 2015, 2016. So oh, wow. really not that long ago. Uh, because when I was in college, um, when I was at University of Alabama, it's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I did have a full scholarship, right? And I was sending some money home, but it wasn't really enough to really make a big impact like that. You know what I'm saying? Like the money that I'd send home would be some grocery money, right? But my mom still was working quite a bit. And so it wasn't until, man, when I graduated college um, and I started running decently well, and then I was able to get funding by Canada. And then I had a small shoe company, Puma, Puma contract. So that was kind of the first time that I was able to like say, you know what, man, I'm in an okay spot here, right? Because I could send money back home more than a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars a month, if needed, and you know I could pay for my rent and pay for other stuff if I needed as well too. So yeah, it was probably about end of fifteen, early sixteen that you know I actually had a little bit of uh, consistent finances coming in. Okay, so actually just before the Olympics, so I think you went to so you did the the twenty sixteen Olympic in Rio. Is that correct? So it's yep. it's only a, a year ish before that. Kind of, you started becoming safe on a financial side and lifestyle uh, uh, side. Um, so yeah, you, you you go to the Olympics. Is that the, the peak of your career of what you you thought you could achieve and, and wanted to achieve, or is there you know other stuff that you you were um, looking for? Yeah, man. So as I said, like you know, like the Olympics is the icing on the cake, right? Because I didn't have any aspirations to do it. Like mm. I know a lot of track and field athletes like that is their pinnacle that is the dream that is the aspirations but for me man i didn't really see it like that like it, it, it it's great and maybe when i'm older it's something that i'll probably think about and appreciate a lot more because you know i'm in the one percent of the one percent that actually got a medal when they went there like that's 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 a tough feat but you know when i got there man it just really made me appreciate the journey a lot more Right. Because I had a lot more downs in my career than I had ups, but the ups were very high, you know. So the fact that I was able to get there, man, from where I started, that was very, very that's what I think about the most. Right. Not necessarily about the medal, not, not, not necessarily about standing on the podium, but just like, man, like a kid from Savlamar, Jamaica, who went through some of the stuff that I went through, some of the challenges that I went through, some of the uphill battles for years on years on years And I'm still here fighting and I'm still here standing at where I am. Like that is what, that's the prize for me. Not necessarily the medal, the medal, the medal, the medal, the medal will fade. You know what I'm saying? And we go in a pawn shop, me and Usain Bolt go in the pawn shop and we're going to come out with the same amount of money, hmm. right? Metal, metal is great. It's a great asset to have. But even if I didn't have it, the fact that I could get there, That showed me, it's like, you know what, man, I'm doing all right. And so what would you say are, in that case, the, the lows? You said more lows than, than highs um, for your career in general. Uh, what, what would be the lows and how, uh, yeah, how did you learn from them? Yeah, man, a um, lot of injuries. A um, lot of injuries, you know, um, when I, before I got to Alabama, I went to, the, I went to a, a junior college. Um, because I originally signed to Florida State to play football and run track. And, you know, shortly after I signed, I learned that one of the math that I took in the ninth grade, the NCAA didn't accept anymore. So I was ruled ineligible. So I had to go to a junior college. So that was a setback. When I got to junior college, I was coming off an injury from my first, from my first injury my first year. So I didn't do so well. I got blasted my first year, man. I, I, it, was, it was tough because I was used to winning more but I wasn't winning a whole lot my first year there, right? And then even going back to my high school years, my the world youth team, the world junior team, I wasn't able to go because of injuries as well too, right? So even though I was competing at a high level and running these fast times, I wasn't able to go for some type of reason, whether it was a life reason or an injury, right? So it was just a lot of ups and downs and, and, and just mental battles with injuries and you know, consistency and the right coaching and, you know, life stuff. And, you know, just, just trying to make sure that I was in a good state of mind to want to continue mm -hmm. because I wasn't going to continue after 2014, you know, but um, yeah, man. So again, 
in basketball, you have 82 games. Uh, in track and field, it's a long season, but you're not racing 82 times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's um, it's amazing what you're saying because we're almost uh, half an hour in, and you mentioned the medal and records for you know half a minute, and we're half an hour in. So that's what I think is amazing with that podcast and why I love it so much with stories like yours is if I put, I've typed your name on Google before, you know, before we, we, um, we record and all of the 20 first 20 results are your medal, uh, your, the fact that you were in the Canadian team for track and field and all that, but there's so little about the rest of our discussion, which is uh, 29 minutes and 30 seconds, which is everything that's behind the scene that is not never, ever, you know, in the news, in the media and, and stuff like that. So thank you for, sh for sharing that. It's, uh, it's so interesting. And I think it's enough, <laughs> even if not much on the, the track and field side. So after the 2016, uh, Olympics, you try yourself, I think at the, in the CFL, uh, 2018. Um, yeah. What yeah. was the, the football seems to have been your, your love sports since you were a kid. So did you, uh, want to make a try, um, for a, another, uh, professional sport? Yeah, man. So track, like, like, um, I knew at some point I could come back to football, right? Like my body was in good shape. Yeah. I hadn't been in the game for a couple of years, but as long as your body is in shape, man, you can work on anything else and speed is speed. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to come back to it. So when 2017, when I, I, I hadn't stepped away from track just yet, right? I was trying to see that I want to continue for another couple of years for another Olympic cycle, Then I got an opportunity to uh, go on the football side, right? And I went to Hamilton and I had signed in like December, December of 2017. So the following year, um, I'm at minicamp, right? And, you know, minicamp is going very well, man. You know, I spent the past four or five months with my strength and conditioning coach, Drew Robertson in Calgary, and a couple other of uh, my teammates and really good friends, Chuck Okafor, who played for the Montreal Alouettes. He's doing real estate now and a couple others. And so I spent like five to six, seven months, man, of just going back to the grind of football, learning, the, learning how to run routes again, learning the fluidity of movement. I'm not just going straight. Now I got to remember how to go laterally right? And how to not just have speed, but have agility. I had to learn how to do certain cuts and how to apply it. I had to make sure my hands were good enough so I could catch all over again and made sure that I could run in football helmets and football pads. Then not to mention, I had to put on more weight. So we're putting in work in like four or five different categories. Mm -hmm. So when I got to, when I signed to Hamilton and I got to Hamilton for the tryouts, man, um, It was going well. You know, I knew they wanted to know a couple things. They're going to know, can Akeem catch the ball? Can, can Akeem run fast in pads? And can he catch the ball? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, I remember, man, like the coach at the time was a guy named June Jones. And he said, you know what? Like Akeem catches the ball much better than I thought that he would. Right. And then Jeremiah Masuli, the quarterback there, who I've been watching since he was at Oregon back in the day, he said, man, you know Akeem isn't just another foot, another just Akeem isn't just another track and field guy. Like he can actually play. So when they were saying that, you know, it, it I was just like, okay, you know, I can do this. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like I, I can be here. Plus some of the guys that I used to play football against in high school, they went on to play. And so, um, but I didn't end up making the team. You know, I realized that like, you know, there's politics in everything. And sometimes you're on the other side of it. And I was on the other side of it during that time. But, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to prove to myself that I could play. And even though I didn't get the full opportunity to make the team, I knew that I could play with those guys. Interesting. So was that for you the, the, the setback to many uh, that you, you didn't want to try it the next year? Or did you think that the political aspect that you mentioned was just too much and it, it wasn't worth another try um, to make it to you know, a full season in the CFL? Man, I, from what my understanding and talking with my agent at the time, man, I don't think any team would have really given me a fair shot. Okay. Right? Because they wanted me to develop more, right? Like a lot of teams wanted to win right now. 
And if you're not winning right now, they may not want to invest in you, especially if you haven't played in a couple of years. Right. So for me, I was just like, you know what? I'm good with how this one played out. I didn't, I, 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 I felt bad about it in the minute, but it didn't eat me alive. It wasn't something that I dwelled on. It was just something like, okay, you know what? It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what was next for you? There are a lot of stuff that I I see you're doing, but if you want to introduce them, it's uh, motivational speaking. Um, you wrote a book. You have a podcast. So there is, yeah, so many things. Start with the one you want. Yeah. So. I- I speak now, but I have been speaking since I was 20 years old. So I've been speaking when I was running track, right? But track and field was what I was doing. That was what was bringing in the income at the time. Plus going throughout that stages, I'm going through school. So my focus is on the schoolwork. But anytime that I wasn't doing track, I was speaking in my community, community center with small events, just trying to learn, uh, gathering my voice and just, you know, sharpening the skills as I wouldn't practice Mm-hmm. Um, I had written two books along that way as well, too. So I wrote, I did all of this while I was running because I didn't want my sole identity to just be in track and field. Yeah, I think one of the things about sports in general, man, is athletes wait until the last minute to decide or to think that they could do something else. Yeah. Right. Because everywhere you go, you hear people say, man, you got to go 100 percent in, you got to go 100 percent in. And you absolutely do. But you're not a hundred percent in every single month because there are moments where you have an off season where you take time to reset and to rest. And in that time, I tell athletes all the time who are thinking about it or still in it. I'm like, man, during your time off, that is when you should dabble in some other things. Think about what else could you see yourself doing and then kind of learning how that would work and how it would go about from there. You can't wait until the last minute to figure out what you want to do because sports is very fickle, man. When you're in it, everybody kind of appreciates it, wants to hear from you. But when you're out of it, it just keeps going. There's always going to be somebody that's coming up that's faster, always going to be someone coming up who can jump higher. It's just a continuous cycle. So I never waited till I was about to finish the sport before I figured out what else that I could do away from the sport. So, um, yeah, man. So that's what I do now. Um, I speak, um, I've written books, the podcast as well too. Um, I've gotten into sports broadcasting as well too. So just a bunch of different things, but they're still under all one tree and that's a different version of speaking and sharing a message. And what are the things that you want to convey or or communicate with those different channels in the end because the 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 way you said it it's these are different channels of communicating to the you know the external world whether it's the podcast uh speaking in general writing a book uh sport broadcasting so yeah what through those channels what is it that you want to communicate and is there um one channel that you know you communicate more on on some some stuff yeah definitely speaking man i think i think i think everybody everybody has been through something you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like everybody goes through certain things and the best way for people to gain hope is by storytelling so for me man i t- share and tell my story because i know i'm not alone right and there's a lot of people out there that think that they are alone but there's billions of people out there 7.9 or 7.8 whatever many it is and we all need hope and encouragement at some point down the road. So that's what my story is about when I go out and speak, man. If if I can get through some of the stuff that I can get through and still be joyful and still smile about it when I probably sh- should be in a straitjacket of some sort, then it provides hope. It provides something that maybe I can't change the world, all of the world, but maybe I can spark a brain or inspire somebody else who could be the one to change the world in their scale, right? So that's on the speaking side, man. And everything else, man, um, you know, when, I, when I'm breaking down a boxing fight or, or when I'm talking about MMA or other sports as well, too, I just come at it from a different psychological standpoint because I've been in the elite sporting space. So Um, I talk about the mentality and the mindset of it and just intertwine it together, man. So that's kind of what it is when I mean different communications. If I'm on the stage and I'm speaking uh, or giving a presentation, it's a little bit different than when, you know, I'm mic'd up and getting ready to speak 
um, mm-hmm. for a broadcasting thing, right? So just different hats. Sweet. Um, so you try to inspire people through your uh, your you know, speaking and all that. But who inspired you in your youth and you know, in your career? Uh, I think early on, man, you know, it was it was it was probably my mom. Um, just seeing how resilient that she was, right? Just seeing how she persevered through certain things that not a lot of people would. Just seeing her get up when I know she's tired, know she's exhausted, but she gets up and she smiles and she pushes through it. That's encouraging to see. And sometimes the best encouragement isn't even the words, it's the actions. And so early, that is what inspired me, man. And, and, and even now, you know, the people around me, like my wife inspires me, you know, my, uh, when I watch movies, certain movies, I get inspired by the movies. You know what I'm saying? I think inspiration is always around us. You just got to know where to look to find it. Cool. Um, so yeah, when you were, uh, uh, running professionally, you were thinking of you know what's next, what would come after that. So now that you are in the post-career doing motivational speaking, podcasting, what are you thinking will come next? That's a great question, man. Um, yeah, I, 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 I was never one of those people who, who, who had like a three-year plan or a four-year plan because when we just are so fixated on this in the next three years, what, When it doesn't go your way or something else comes to affect it like the pandemic did, you're going to think you're you're behind. You're going to think that you failed, right? So there are things that I'm working towards, but I don't have a timeline for what I want it to accomplish. Sometimes it'll come sooner. Sometimes it'll take longer. But, you know, for me, man, you know, I'm always going to continue speaking. But, you know, I'd love to be in the broadcasting, some of these big fights and and kind of being in there as well, too. And I'm also coaching um, as well to small groups, football teams, uh, track and field athletes, rugby, but just trying to help them achieve their next goals when it comes to speed on the track or on the rugby pitch or whatever the case may be. So that is what's next is just trying to be present and making sure that I'm maximizing all that I already have and making sure that I'm consistent all the way through and I'm not just giving a short change of effort in all of them. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, where are you located now? Are you still in, in Canada? Um, I'm mix of uh, Calgary, but mostly Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, any specific reason for Charlotte? Uh, me and my wife moved here. Um, you know, no specific reason other than the fact like, hey, you know, let's just go out here and see what it can be. Let's try it out. Okay, interesting. Um, so I'm going to be a, a, a copycat right now, and I'm going to ask uh, three things that you are grateful for. I know you start your podcast uh, quite, <laughs> quite, quite <laughs> so what are you grateful for? Um, one, I am uh, grateful for life, man, because, you know, somebody somebody didn't wake up today, you know, and, and, and life in itself is the gift. And if we have that gift of life, man, no matter what we're facing, you know, we can always find strength to get through today um, if we don't worry about tomorrow. So that's one, it's just life. Uh, two, um, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my mom, thankful for my close friends around me um, because, you know, very few people that start with you finish with you. And a lot of the people in my circle, man, started with me. And I think it's safe to say they'll probably finish with me. So I'm grateful for them. Uh, the third thing, Uh, My health, man, you know, I had a lot of injuries over my track and field career, football career, sporting career, Mm -hmm. but none of that has damaged me enough where I'm walking hunched over or I'm, you know, in pain 24 seven, you know, and I'm, I, I eat well, I take care of my body. So I'm, that's the other thing I'm, I'm, I'm glad about my health because everybody doesn't take care of their body, especially post retirement. And so you can't, even if you have all of the money in the world and all of the things, if your health isn't good, you can't enjoy that stuff anyway. Is that something you realized early on, how important it was to, to uh, you know, be healthy? Um, is that something that you had necessarily had to focus on your, you know, your body and your mental health when you were a, a pro athlete? But is that something that you realized how important it was early on? Man, you know, all the things I've been through in life, man, kind of prepared me for sport. You know what I'm saying? So... When it comes to the health aspect of it, I kind of saw what was happening in the dynamics of my own family. 
right? I saw some health complications over here, health complications over here, health complications through here. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, like, you know, some of these things are kind of fixable, right? So we got to eat better. We got to make sure we're drinking water. We got to try to make sure we're taking care of our body as best as we can. And to be honest, like one of the things that helped me get the edge in sport and track and field was my nutrition, right? Because I knew I wasn't going to, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the most talented guy, but I knew I could be consistent and more disciplined than most of than most of the athletes that I compete against. I, I know that they're not going to eat healthy all the way through. I'm not for a fact. I've been around some really, really great athletes who are still competing to this day, but I know also what they eat and they don't always eat as consistently as I'm going to eat. So I always made sure, man, nutrition is a priority for me. Health is a priority for me. And it's also just good for a reset, right? When you are out there being active as best as you can, man, it just, it just makes you feel good, man. Even if you don't want to do it in the moment, you do it after it picks you up a little bit. Okay, cool. A few, a few closing question. Um, If you had the opportunity to meet a 10 year old Akim, what would you tell him? Oh man. Um, honestly, I would say try and enjoy it a little bit more. Right. And, and that's enjoy everything, right. Try and smile a little bit more, uh, because you, 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 you're going to go through a lot, but understand that these are all the things that you go through that makes your character build, that fortifies your strength, that makes you who you are. So you should smile a little bit more along the way and try to find that enjoyment along the way as well. So that's what I would say, man, uh, because sometimes when you're going through certain situations, man, and you're just trying to survive, trying to get ahead, it's not always enjoyable and it kind of hardens you a little bit. That's the thing. That's the thing about setbacks that not a lot of people talk about is, yes, on one hand, you become stronger, you become more resilient. But on the other hand is you get more tired. And your motivation, and every time you get hit, it takes a little bit longer for you to get back up, right? It's a, it's, it's a good size and it's a downside, but that's the thing when it comes to joy is joy doesn't, isn't predicated on are things going well or are things going bad? You can control your joy by saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going through a tough season right now, but I'm alive. My needs are met and I can be grateful in this moment. And I don't think I was always grateful in those moments early on in my life. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a mindset approach that is quite hard to uh, to you know master to being able to focus on what we've done and not on what we have not done or what we wish we would have done. You know, you plan to do a hundred days, a hundred thing in a day. You do eighty of them, and then you'll just remember the twenty percent that you didn't do, and you'll kind of you know. Think about it over and over again instead of you know focusing and being grateful and thankful for you know what you've Absolutely. you've managed. Absolutely, man. That's well said. Um, cool. So one, thank you. <laughs> one, um, um, you have an amazing story. Uh, I'm very happy that we talked about sports for like five minutes ish, uh, but the rest was really your life story. Um, so it's going to be hard to top. But if you had one uh, Canadian athlete um, that you know that would have an interesting story to tell on the podcast, uh, who would that person be? Canadian athletes. Um, Track and field or any other sport, eh? Uh, man, I would say, I would say like, I would say uh, Sam Effa uh, would be someone to talk to as well. Uh, Kia Nurse as well too. Sam is retired now, but, um, you know, he was someone when I was coming up in track, he was in Calgary as well too. And, and, you know, it was, you know, it was me and him competing a lot of the times and we pushed each other. Uh, Kia nurse. I mean, you want to talk about athletic background. I mean, she plays basketball right now in the WNBA, but I mean, her, her brother plays in the NHL. Her cousin plays hockey. Her dad played like, it's just a family of just like athletically talented people. So I would say those two, man. I would say those two. Cool. So if you have a if you have a contact with them, uh, I'll be uh, really grateful if you can uh, if you can mention the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, uh, man. Absolutely. Um, about your podcast, so what's what's the name and where should uh, our listeners listen to you? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's called Unscripted with the Keem Haynes man, and 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 the podcast is just based around having conversation with professionals from all walks of life. You know, uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's like, you know, when you come on the show, man, or when you hear the show, it's I don't do fluff. You know, what I'm saying like I'm not a guy who uh, I want to know the ins and outs of a person men- mentally and how they get to a certain point. Everybody wants to talk about the peak but takes a lot more to get to that peak. And so that's what the podcast is about. And there's going to be practical tips that'll help someone coming from behind them because that's how we move the world forward, right? Making sure that we share these things for the up and coming people who are coming up, who may be going through a similar path and they can take what you're saying and try to apply it in their life in some capacity to help them keep going, man. So that's what the podcast is about. Sweet. So yeah, I listened to a few episodes. It's really a, inspiring so we'll put the 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 link to to your podcast uh in the the notes of the episode uh a bit of cross promo uh never uh, never hurts i appreciate that man um and personally where should we uh should we follow you yeah so i'm on all social media man it's at underdog akh uh if you're into boxing if you're into mma uh, on youtube it's the breakdown with the keem haynes where we talk all combat sports over there man so but I'm on all social platforms, Instagram, Twitter. It's at underdog, A-K-H. Okay, sweet. So we'll put also note uh, links for that, those uh, those different platforms. Um, so I've built out um, a wall of fame in my cottage up north uh, with a few gears from the, the guests that I've had the, the chance to, to have on the podcast. Um, do you have any gear from your, uh, your past career that is uh, waiting to be uh, thrown away and that you might just uh, hand, out, hand over? Man, when I go home next, because my mom has all that stuff, right? Uh, mom, when I go home, still yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom, mom has the stuff. She's got it somewhere, or my little brother's wearing it. One of the two. <laughs> But uh, when I go home next, man, I'll make sure to grab something for you, man, and I'll hit you, and and I'll get that sent out to you, man. Sweet. That's awesome. Uh, amazing. That was an amazing hour or 15 minutes to to spend with you. I love the life story you have um the way you are so storytelling is amazing extremely inspiring thank so you, thank man. you so I much i appreciate that thank, thank so you much, for Akeem. having me man thank you have for having me anytime wonderful man. rest of your life it's not just a wonderful year anything wonderful uh uh things ahead for you thank you so much hey always love man happy to have happy to be on it's a pleasure to be on man if you're still here it's probably because you liked the episode right So, if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life! <laughs>